you where you're driving on the highway and a piece of trash gets stuck on your car? Oh, from a, from a car in front of you or from like a yeah. tire blowing it up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's horrifying. It's the worst. And like I've had it happen twice now um, in the past just like literally two months with like plastic bags getting caught on like, you know, the radio antenna. Today it was like my side mirror. It was a giant like Deer Park like shrink wrapper. <laughs> and so it just molded to my car. <laughs> and then, of course, like I'm like, well, I want to push it off, but I don't want to litter, but I also don't want to touch a stranger's trash. And so, and then I was like, and I also don't want the person behind me to think that I'm throwing it out of my car. Like it's like, I had a whole big dilemma about it. And I was like, this thing needs to get the fuck off of my car. Yeah. So I just kind of like, like reached out with a pen and just kind of like pushed it. <laughs> but I'm like going on the highway and I'm going like 70 and miles it, an like, hour. the person behind yeah. you. <laughs> and I was like, all right, there's not, there's no one behind me. So I feel like this is good, but I really don't want anybody to think that I'm littering. It was the worst. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Now imagine how the whales feel. The whales. The poor, the poor whales. whales. I feel for them. Ugh. I do love that people are using like, you know, masks getting like caught on fish and all that is like, well, now we just shouldn't wear masks. I'm like, no, I think that like the general problem of like littering and like disposable everything is the bigger problem. Reusable. I don't think that reusable like- masks. <laughs> just wash them. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's like, what? What? <laughs> The problem of like birds and like, you know, seagulls and fishes getting trapped in our litter is not going to stop when the pandemic stops. We don't have to we have to we don't have to wear masks anymore. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. Just reusable <laughs> straws, reusable water yeah. bottles. You heard it here first. Yeah, just uh, less trash in the world would be. It'd be great. Great. But, but we're not here to talk about pollution. No, at least trash. not that I think with these two girls. No. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But just so you know. We are drinking the entire time. We are not professional historians. We're mm-hmm. professional drinkers and semi-professional Googlers. Oh, yeah. I think I could win a competition. I've gotten pretty good at Google. Yeah. But let me tell you, I might have to update my person's Wikipedia page because it is tiny. <laughs> it's low. <laughs> yeah. I actually looked into updating Wikipedia pages before and you have to like HTML code. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't want that. You can't just like type <laughs> it in. What do you think they are? MySpace? <laughs> We're not Gen Xers. Excuse me. We don't know how to write code. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I didn't do it. Yeah. I oh. read a couple articles on it and tried to figure it out and then I quit. Yeah. It's not worth it. One of these days. <laughs> One of these days. Um, But we're here to talk about two ladies and here's Absolutely. how it's going to work. I'm going to tell Katie a story that some, one of you requested mm-hmm. and I'm going to serve her a cocktail and then she's going to tell me a story that one of you requested and serve me a cocktail and then we're going to compare the ladies together. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a really fun night. We're going to have a great time. But the thing is, we don't know what you're doing when you're listening to this. You might be shucking oysters. Oh, my gosh, you could be. And let me tell you, nothing looks worse than shucking oysters, especially if your hands are cold. Yeah. And I feel like they have to be because the oysters are typically over ice. And I feel like you always have like a knife or something. Oh, it's a very sharp, small knife. It's dangerous. The possibility for you to slice your hand open is just off the charts so no texting while oystering no texting while oystering so we are going to describe what these women look like so you get a mental picture in your head while we're telling the stories because it's pretty important sometimes what these women look like especially with someone like my person i think your person is very important it's what very they look important like. <laughs> so we are going to get a little physical 
physical. Allie, who are you doing? What does she look like? I'm doing Corazon Aquino. Ooh. And I always picture Corazon in a bright yellow blouse or suit jacket because that's what she is so often wearing. Corazon was born in the Philippines and is of Filipino, Chinese, and Spanish descent. She had like big 1980s style glasses and short curly hair that is sometimes permed. Um, Corazon paired her dark hair and her light skin complexion with a bright red or pink lip and a lot of times was wearing a string of pearls. Wow. And that's what Corazon looked like. Very exciting. What did your person look like? Because <laughs> I have a feeling it's very different. <laughs> yes. I am doing Maud Wagner. Um, so she has a striking face and body. Um, in the most famous photo of her, she is sitting and she kind of has her arms crossed in front of her. She has downturned hooded dark eyes that are a little uneven, thick dark eyebrows, a slim face with a slightly pointed nose. She has thin lips and a long neck, which are covered by a pearl choker. And she has dark, wild hair piled high up on her head with a rose pinned in the top. But the most important aspect of mm -hmm. her look is her arms and upper chest, which are exposed to show off her incredible tattoos. The largest piece on her chest is a woman with two lions and palm trees on either side, one of which has a snake wrapped around it. And all of this is surrounded by birds, butterflies, and her very first tattoo, which is an American flag with a bald eagle on her arm wow yeah. <laughs> this is very a uh, political heavy episode so <laughs> political um just kidding that's literally as political as it gets yeah, yeah, yeah. um Mine's but all political. <laughs> um but it's funny because both of these women are requests yeah but my daughter have done both of these pictures on um women's history month like photo really? ops yeah we I, we did Corazon the first year, but Maud we just did this past year, uh -huh. and I actually drew all those tattoos on Caroline. <laughs> I was like palm tree, palm tree, palm tree. It was very hard. Uh, it ended up mine ended up looking very bad because <laughs> markers don't do justice to yeah. how great Maud Wagner looks. Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's just incredible. <laughs> Yeah, so are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Uh, what are we about to drink? It looks amazing. So this is a take on a paeta, a paeta, which is, or puñeta, which is a traditional Filipino cocktail, which I found this incredible website. I should share it on Twitter that had like a list of Filipino cocktails and they're all like three ingredients. I was Ooh. like, this is my favorite country. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, this is the easiest thing I've ever seen. So it's a take on that. It's called Mrs. President the First and it's an ounce and a half of rum and you're supposed to put powdered iced tea in it, but I wanted to do it a little different. I mm -hmm. shook it in a cocktail shaker with tea bags and also an ounce and a half of pineapple juice and then some simple syrup. Ooh. So it's really just supposed to be rum, powdered iced tea, and pineapple juice, but I added in the um, simple syrup and took out the iced tea Excellent. powder. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Mm. I love it. I love a pineapple cocktail. They're yeah. so good. I've done so many this season, but not on purpose. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I have pineapple juice. May as well use it. I like keep buying new pineapple juice because my kids drink it. No, this is great. I love that like when you do the tea bag, it kind of like a little tea gets in. So it looks kind of speckled like a vanilla bean. Yes. Like it, it's really, it's a cute cocktail. Yeah. And the wine glass was just classy enough for Mrs. Corazon Aquino. Mm -hmm. So. 
Mm. Can you tell me what you know about Corazon? Literally nothing. I've never heard of her okay. before. <laughs> and I obviously follow your Instagram and I love all of the women's history posts and I don't remember this one. Mm. And I feel bad that I don't remember it. It was like two years ago. Oh, okay. So yeah, okay. it was a very old, it was the first year we did it. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was Eliza and she's very, very young. I'll yeah. have to go back and find the picture. Yeah. Maybe we'll reshare it. But, um, so you know nothing about her except for that she's Filipino. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Okay. And I, maybe she's president at some point. Maybe, maybe. Or wanted to be. <laughs> so first, this is an episode requested by Joan Shant- Santiago. And I think that's how you say it. J-O-E-N. Joan. J- Joan. Yeah. Yeah, probably like Joan. Joan Santiago. Tell us if we're wrong. Please do. We were wrong with Ronnie. <laughs> we like, were very wrong with it's Ronnie. It's actually Vero. Thank Vero. you. You're so kind on all of our social medias. You're very nice. But um, other cool things. We got a new patron this week before I start. What? Yeah. Joanne Savarese. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so sweet, right? And then Miss Krista, the great cocktail woman, ordered Girl Scout cookies from my kids. What? Isn't that so sweet? I know. I know. I never, I never in my life dreamed that we'd be connected to so many people that we've never met. In different states and countries. It's just so fun. I, I we love, love you all. We love you all. I wanted to put that in there. And Joan Even Santiago, you- now you're part of the crew. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to buy Girl Scout cookies from us, but it is also very nice. And you don't have to be a patron. <laughs> no, we but love you, you could all the rate same. and review us, and we'd love that. that yeah, that's more. something that doesn't cost you literally any money. Yeah, no, just maybe five minutes. Absolutely adore it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay, I'm so ready. So Maria Corazon. Conjuego, I think. Now, I'm pronouncing the J like a Spanish word mm-hmm. because they're of Spanish descent. I could be absolutely wrong. Okay. But she was born in a province north of Manila in the Philippines. Manila is the capital of the Philippines on January 25th, 1933. And she was the sixth of eight children. Two of the children died in infancy, though. Mm. Her dad was a former congressman and her mom was a pharmacist. So wow. They, yeah, exactly. And she's not born in 1933. What? Yeah. So she's from a really, really wealthy family in the Philippines that are influential in politics and banking. And both of her parents were from really prominent clans. Oh, That's something okay. that I learned about when I read um, Crazy Rich Asians, that people were very like, what family do you yeah. come from? And I know, obviously, the Philippines and China are different countries. It's just a more like Eastern culture thing. Yeah. And what do we call? Well, we call them legacy children here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> legacy child. Um, oh, my gosh. I did love that because I didn't realize that about like Ivy League, that like mm. you can get scholarships for like dumb ass sports like jousting and it's like really it's i mean your mom went it's there. really because your mom went here and that's why we're accepting you and giving you like a scholarship or whatever <laughs> yeah but you're also a very good jouster which is the maryland <laughs> state, state sport. sport if you didn't know fun fact about <laughs> maryland so we love our horses <laughs> the reason her family was so wealthy is one of the things they did was own this huge sugar plantation that covered thousands of acres in the philippines Corazon went to Catholic school in the Philippines until she was 13. She graduated the top of her class from like, you know, elementary and middle school. And then her family moved to the United States where she attended Ravenhill Academy in Philadelphia and then went to the Notre Dame Convent School in New York. Her Mm. family is very 
Catholic. Wow. And from what I could tell from this research, so is most of the Philippines. Okay. Uh, in 1953, she graduated from college in New York at the Mount St. Vincent School, where she majored in French and minored in mathematics. During her time in the U.S., she also volunteered on the political campaign of U.S. Republican candidate Thomas Dewey, who did not win. <laughs> oh my, Is that the election where... Um, the guy holds up the thing and it's like Dewey beats what's his face yeah well Hoover yeah because he was fighting Hoover right yeah. or he was going up against Hoover yeah yeah, and like they all were like yeah Dewey's gonna win yeah. we've all been there we've yeah <laughs> hopefully not tomorrow yeah we'll see we we'll don't know we're yeah. still we're, we're still, still in the like, past yeah we're in the past <laughs> we're in the past uh. <laughs> it's very scary <laughs> Manila and enrolled in law school at the Far Eastern University, but she soon left school and married um, Benigno Aquino Jr. <laughs> on October 11th, 1953. He was a young journalist and a promising politician, also from a really wealthy family. His dad was the speaker. His grandfather was a general like he was up there. Um, and after they were married, they eventually had five kids together, one son and four girls. Ooh. Just a year after they were married. And from now on, we're going to call him Ninoy because that's what Ninoy. he went by. Okay. Went by. A boy. <laughs> boy. <laughs> Ninoy. Her husband um, ends up winning an election to become a mayor of Ooh. a city. And Corazon struggled with kind of provincial life at first because she had spent a lot of time in Philly and New yeah. York and then time in Manila and she had this rich family, but now she's kind of like the wife of a mayor raising all these kids in a small town in like the Philippines. Right. But she did welcome her husband's political career and she raised five children and often preferred to stay back and away from the large audiences. Like even though she didn't want a provincial life, she also did not want to be in the spotlight okay. all the time. So he went on to become the youngest governor in the Philippines and then also the youngest senator in the Philippines. Wow. All along the way, the country's president is Ferdinand Marcos. Corazon focused on supporting the family and raising the kids, but her husband was a huge vocal opponent to the then president, Ferdinand Marcos. So Nino is his loudest critic. He had been elected president in 1965, but his administration had been marred with corruption and human rights violations all over the Philippines. So in 1972, Marcos... This is the president declared martial law in the mm. Philippines and extended his term beyond two term limits. Oh, and then he stripped the citizens of all their democratic rights and what? abolished the existing constitution. That is a big, big step. Yeah, <laughs> he is just very bold. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't understand how that happens, though. It, he did have supporters. Okay. And he had enough supporters that blindly followed him <laughs> that he could make <laughs> rash decisions and do very silly things and no one got mad about it. Sound familiar? It is. So we are recording this on Wednesday, November <laughs> 4th. <laughs> and we still do not know the outcome of the United States election. And this is feeling like... 
I already have a couple mouth ulcers from stress because of this election, and I'm going to get another one. Every single one of my fingernails <laughs> is bit down to blood bleeding. I'm bleeding. My fingers are bleeding. I hope that this sounds like we're worrying for nothing by next Thursday. <laughs> I hope so, too. But right now, the election is very close, and we're waiting on a couple swing states. <laughs> Wild. Okay. okay. <laughs> Things are going to get more real. So n- he he just takes all the rights away from people and Ninoy was going to run against him as president when he took all these rights away and he was kind of expected to win. So President Marcos or I should say dictator Marcos <laughs> throws him in prison. Mm-hmm. On false charges. And he's there for eight years. What? Eight years? Eight years, including fake charges that included murder and firearm possession. Just like, hey, you might have beaten me and you have followers, so now you're going to sit in prison. What the hell? Yeah. At first, in solidarity, Corazon, like really really struggled and she stopped her children from going to parties and she stopped going to beauty salons like we should mourn with the fact that all these people are in political prison because it wasn't just her husband it was other people as well but a lot of the catholic priests in the area advised her to live a normal life for her children so while he's in prison corazon became political and acted as a liaison to the public she passed letters back and forth with him keeping him informed and keeping his public image alive But when Marcos just all of a sudden decided to hold primary elections because he needed to pose to the rest of the world like they were a democracy, Ninoy decides to run from prison. And Corazon is like, do not like escape. Do that. No, no, no. Like run for parliament while in prison, while in prison to run (laughs) a campaign (laughs) in prison for parliament. This guy's wild. He is. So. Corazon didn't want it at first, but then she's like, okay, and kind of ran his campaign for him. And this is the first time she starts giving political speeches. She memorized the letters he sent and gave speeches for him to the public. Um, And even though Ninoy had overwhelming support, Marcus obviously rigged the election. Of course. So the Aquino family actually gets him out of prison when President Jimmy Carter is like, look, Nino is sick. He needs heart surgery. Just send them on exile to the United States. Just send the whole family, get rid of them. And President Marcos agrees and sends Corazon, the five kids, and um, Ninoy over to the U.S. Okay, so the good thing is he's out of jail. He's out of jail Bad news is they're all exiled. Yeah, they are exiled from their country. That fucking sucks, especially because it's like, I mean, it's like, I guess we're not dead and like in jail anymore, but it's also like, they seem like people who actually care about the well-being of the fucking Philippines. And they're like, we have to do something like. Yeah. And they end up living in Boston, which, you know, Boston's a real night. If you want to get riled up about revolutions, Ah, Boston's the place to be. It's the place to be. Oh, I love it there. So Corazon said that in Boston, it was the best and happiest years of her life with her marriage because she actually just got to be a wife and mother. And it wasn't like they weren't fighting a political battle. Her husband was out of jail. But of course, in 1983, uh, the president decides to hold more parliamentary elections. And Ninoy's like, why don't I just go home and help? Let me help get somebody elected. So he goes without his family. And on August 21st, 1983, in the airport, when he steps off the plane, he's assassinated. <gasps> Ninoy? Ninoy, her husband. No! By two soldiers 
obviously <laughs> ordered by Marcus. Oh my God. So he is shot down in the Philippines and she is left with five children <sighs> in the United States. What the hell? Yeah. This guy's crazy. <laughs> I'm so sad right now. Yeah. That's really upsetting. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Really rough turn. So Corazon, because she wasn't technically exiled, it was her husband. She returns to the Philippines within a few days um, to, you know, help mourn her husband with her children. And the fact that he was assassinated and everybody kind of knew who did it galvanized the people in the Philippines. They mm. were like, okay, this is enough. Corazon dealt with it both gracefully um, and ended up becoming the central national figure in anti-Marcos like politics. Okay, everybody's, so she's like, I'm fucking leading this right yeah, now. Because now my husband's dead and everybody's kind of pushing me into this leadership role. And again, she was a little tentative, but then she ends up being like, okay, like I can do this. Yeah. So in 1985, Marcos again surprises the nation by announcing another election. He's like, my main competition is dead. I killed him. Whatever. So now we can go back to pretending this is a democracy. Right. So let's put up the <laughs> facade that I, I'm holding elections. So Marcos calls for this election and the Aquino family supporters beg her to run for president. And she's like, I've got five kids. My husband's just assassinated and in jail. I don't know what to do. So she's super tentative, but she eventually <sighs> agrees to run. Well, it's also like, I don't want to leave my kids in orf like orphans, orphans because the reality is I could also be assassinated. Right. Exactly right. Okay. Woo. Yes. All right. So she picks um, Salvador Laurel, a former senator, as her running mate. And he originally wanted to run for president. And she makes kind of like some back deals with him. Like, if I win, then I'll do this for you once I win, blah, blah, blah. And she eventually goes back on some of her promises. But that's really just because of lots of different reasons. But okay. that didn't seem like a very huge deal. Um, but regardless, their tandem team running team got a quite a bit of support because it was an old senator and um you know Corazon's husband had a huge amount of support right so Marcos keeps pinning her with like you have no experience you're not going to be good at this he claimed that she had ties to the communist party that she played politics too closely with the United States because she'd lived there so much and he goes on to say <laughs> she's just a woman whose place is in the bedroom. Not even the kitchen. Not the even the bedroom. kitchen. Yeah. Oh, but my God. What's funny, though, is a lot of people believe that Ferdinand Marcos's wife was kind of running his campaign from behind him. And her name is Imelda. And we need to do an episode on her because she is fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> and I just you we can't even touch into her because it just didn't fit in the story. Right. But apparently she was like glitz and glam real posh type okay. person. So I want to do her one day. Okay. But because of that, when he said she's just a woman, Corazon simply responded, may the better woman win. To him, like, <laughs> it's me or your wife, buddy. One of us is going to win because she's so clever. Love it. And then he also attacked her inexperience. Like we said, he said a country, our country would be a disaster if a woman was running it. And she cleverly responded. And I quote, you're right. I have no experience in cheating 
lying to the public, stealing government money, or killing political opponents. Oh, my God. Pretty much publicly <laughs> saying, I know you killed my husband, you bastard. I, oh, my God. Okay. That, which is ballsy. That's very ballsy. So she was winning when the polls closed on February 7th, 1986. But the government declared Marcos the president. Corazon and her supporters protested the outcome, claiming voter fraud. And, you know, the February 7th election was marred with electoral fraud, violence, intimidation, coercion, um, disenfranchisement of voters. Like, people were treated awful. One of her supporters, who was a former governor, went to vote and was, like, murdered (gasps) at the voting place. Polling technicians were walking out, like, I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. And on February 15th, only, like, um, eight days later... The ruling party declared Marcos the president, but the court showed that Corazon Aquino had won the election and she and her supporters began to boycott products from companies that were serving Marcos. And she held these she held these mammoth size rallies. And then all the Catholic bishops said, we think Corazon won. And then the United States released a statement saying, we think Corazon won. And then. (laughs) the head military officials in the Philippines turned around and surprised everyone by saying that they believed that Corazon won the election. So now the military is against this president. And dictators do not like when the military does not fall in line. Oh, no, no, no. Because then (laughs) the military joined up with the protesters. (gasps) Corazon had been off like meditating at a convent she was just like i need to pray and just let this be like i can't do this and she heard that the military and the protesters joined together so she comes back to lead them and after three days of peaceful protest on february 25th 1986 corazon aquino became the 11th president of the philippines and the first woman to hold the office I hope she fucking gilded that guy's balls and put them on her fucking mantle. Uh, He fled the country. I'm sure he did. He's a murderer. I hate him. God. I've never heard of a worse human in my life. I mean, that's not true, but he's pretty bad. He's up there. That's horrible. It is, but now she's the president, and she is then named Time Magazine's Woman of the Year that year. Yeah. That's so cool. And what year is this? uh, 1986. The year you were born. The year I was born. <laughs> Listen, girl power hard that year. Girl power hard. So in March 1986, Corzon proclaimed a provisional constitution. She's like, listen, we're going to play this like it's a revolutionary government we just took over. We're going to abolish Marcos's constitution mm-hmm. and we're going to place a provisional one in. And then I'm going to hire people to write a new one. We're going to redo this whole thing. So... Um, the document that they rewrite um, restores a bicameral Congress, like a Senate House of Representatives kind of thing. And it's ratified a month later with a landslide of popular votes. Everybody's like, good, good, good. We rewrote this. She held elections for new Congress members and broke up monopolies that Marcos and his allies had over the economy. She experienced steady growth for several years in the economy because of this. And this was called the PCGG, Presidential Commission of Good Government. And their job was to go after the supporters of Marcos who had gotten ill-gotten wealth from just their shady deeds. So 
She made an, a lot of new laws about family structure and when women could get annulments. She reformed the executive branch of the government. She restructured how taxes would be paid and dispersed. And she moved quickly to attack the foreign debt of the country, which had put them in a really bad spot because Marcos had been taking all this money and not paying it back. And it made them look really, really bad in the world politics. Yeah. So because of this, she paid everybody back in full. The Philippines what? paid back billions <laughs> of dollars in full. Probably not billions. It was probably millions. Yeah. But still. <laughs> so in her time, because of this, the country's GDP went up. The country's per capita income went up. And their total exports to other countries went up. And she just decided to take a loss so that she could dismantle all of these monopolies. She did fail, though, in some places because she promised a lot of social reform, but it was hard because she was constantly undergoing coups from other people and worrying that the military was then going to be unloyal. And there was warfare in the Gulf. The Gulf War was happening, and a lot of people from the Philippines worked with companies in the Middle East, and, like, their jobs were struggling because of the decisions Corazon was making. So some people were like, come on, like, we got to we got to stop with this whole war thing. Another hard thing was that there was a U.S. military base in the Philippines and many people wanted it gone. And they had always been kind to her and she had lived in the U.S., but people thought that she was just being too nice and that it threatened the Philippines' sovereignty. And the U.S. was like, we've always had our military base here ever right. since World War II. We helped you establish your government. Like, what the hell? But... <laughs> Eventually, she put down her fist and the military moved out. And as much as the people wanted that military base gone, a lot of Filipino people lost their jobs because they had worked there. That's what I was going to say. Like, I'm sure that they employed people in the country to be there. They and like, did. And I'm sure that people coming into that base went to areas around and like, Businesses, you know, yeah, like spent money in the country. Like, yeah. As much as I am, like, very anti, like, colonialism and, like, people being there when they fucking shouldn't, like, you also have to respect, like, the economic situation of the time and, like, how it probably fucked a lot of people over to have all of a sudden this huge base completely gone. Yeah, it was a it was a stiff transition and she caught a lot of flack for it. Um, and like we said, there were a lot of coups, but she really did fight for land reform and free speech and specifically fought against human rights abusers in terms of land reform. She really wanted to try to give small farmers a chance because the monopolies had taken over so much. So she like was redistributing land. But the problem was she was a rich girl who spent right. a lot of her life overseas in the United States. And when she was splitting up land, people in the Philippines were like, yeah, but what about the thousand acre sugar plantation you and your siblings inherited from your parents? Ooh. So she caught a lot of flack for that. And there were like some riots um, that ended up pretty violent and seven people ended up dying. And she was also dealing with a shit ton of natural disasters. If you know anything about the Pacific Ocean and archipelago style islands, like they don't have it easy. So in yeah. 1990, there was an earthquake that killed over 1,500 people. And then in 1991, a volcano erupted <gasps> and killed 300 people, which <sighs> is the second largest eruption in the 20th century. What? And then a typhoon hit and flooded a town and killed 5,000 <gasps> people. Oh, my God. It was said to be the deadliest peacetime maritime disaster in the 20th century. And then the blackout started. 
unfortunately, when she broke up a lot of Marcos's businesses, one of them was a power plant. Oh, no. And they had had a monopoly. And because of that, the capital, Manila, experienced 7 to 12 hour power outages pretty frequently and it just like halted business and it's like it needed to be done yeah but it sucked and then there was in cabinet fighting because she had appointed this new pure cabinet but then sometimes they would do something crooked and she had to let them go and then one of the guys she let go took his own life and it was like she was like again like thing after thing after thing for corazon when but I, I think that that's why it's important to know that like even if someone really does have good intentions sometimes the system is the system is not built for people who actually have good intentions unfortunately yeah and she's building a system from the ground up from yeah. a system that already existed right yeah so to like take those reins and try and steer it in a positive direction is so hard and like the thing is again like Anyone who has that position is human and like they will not make the right decision 100% of the time. No. And it's like she did incredible things for the Philippines. I mean, she returned them to being a democracy from being a dictatorship. Yeah. Which is incredible. So in the rewritten constitution, the president was given one six year term with no possibility of reelection. So that's it. One Mm. six year, not two, four years. I kind of like that. I like it. It's like, okay, I have a shot and I have six years to get something good done. Right. One and done. I like that. But because she was elected under the old constitution, people were like, well, you can do two terms. (sighs) And she said, no, I'm going to set an example for this country and for the citizens and for everybody who's going to come after me. And she stepped down. I love that. She pulled a good old George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) She was president until June 1992. She was seceded as president by her former defense secretary, Fidel Ramos. After six years of redefining what Filipino government should be, she left her post riding away in a white Toyota crown that she had purchased on her own rather than the lavish government-issued Mercedes-Benz. This was to make a point that she was once again an ordinary citizen. Corazon did not go quietly into retirement. She (laughs) ran a think tank on nonviolence and periodically helped lead street protests. She held rallies and voiced concerns over things that she thought threatened the democracy of her country. She threw her political weight behind candidates that she thought were valuable. She spoke out against candidates that she thought were crooked, and she actively campaigned for her one and only son, who ran for politics in the country. She also traveled abroad and gave speeches and lectures on the development of democracy, human rights, and women empowerment. She attended the funeral of Mother Teresa and urged the government of Burma to release the Democratic leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, from detention. She also studied art and began painting with her friends and selling her paintings and donating all the money. Oh, she pulled a book. She did. She did. (laughs) She set up a charity to honor her late husband, which provided funds for social housing projects. And then she created the Council of Women World Leaders, which is an international organization of former and current female heads of state and government. Ah, I wish we could be a part of that club. I want to go to that tea party. (laughs) We can't even send anyone. We have no one to send. We have no one to send. Um, Camilla Harris. Kamala Kamala Harris. Harris. (laughs) It's your turn. We got to send you. Please. Please. Okay. 
But on March 24th, 2008, Corazon's family announced that she had been diagnosed with colon cancer. <sighs> she had been informed by her doctors that she had about three months to live. Oh, my God. She pursued medical treatment and told the public that her body was responding well, but her weight loss and hair loss was obvious. In June 2008, she was reported in serious condition and confined to a hospital. And at 3.18 a.m. on August 1st, 2009, due to cardiorespiratory arrest at the age of 76, Corazon Aquino passed away. The Philippines issued a 10-day mourning period in the country. Every church in the Philippines had mass at exactly the same time, and all government flags were flown at half-mass. Hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets to see her casket come by, which paused for a moment in front of the memorial to her husband. On August 4th, the children of former President Marcos came to pay their respects to Corazon, her final funeral procession to her burial took place for more than eight hours. Mm. Civilians again lined the streets and helicopters showered the procession with yellow confetti, like the color she loved to wear so mm. much. Months later, her son was elected president <gasps> of what? the Philippines. That's so cool. <laughs> Corazon restored democ democratic rule to the country of the Philippines and is known as the mother of the nation. Her rise to power signaled the end of authoritarian rule in the Philippines and the dawning of a new era in Filipino politics. The peaceful way in which she overthrew a dictator drew international acclaim and admiration, not only for her, but for Filipino people in general. She was the only um, female president, not only the first female president in the Philippines, but also technically the first female president in Asia because people like Benazir Bhutto were prime ministers. Oh, so wow. she's like officially the first female president in Asia. Internationally, she is seen as a treasure of the Philippines. People, when she died, said the country has lost their mother. They've lost Philippines' most beloved woman. President Barack Obama said that her courage, determination, and moral leadership are an inspiration to us all and exemplify the best in the Filipino nation. Queen Elizabeth II and Hillary Clinton also sent their condolences, seeing so much of what they wanted for women and for the world in Corazon. She, along with Eleanor Roosevelt, are on the list of people who never won a Nobel Prize but should have. Mm. She was part of the 100 women who shaped world history, the 20 most influential Asian women, and the 65 great Asian heroes, which that list includes Gandhi. Despite all of this, Corazon always stated, it was not me who restored democracy in the Philippines. I was only an instrument, implying that the Filipino people restored peaceful democracy for themselves with a woman at the helm. And that is Corazon's story. That was incredible. Corazon Aquino, you're a hero. She really is. That was, I just, I love... I love how like humble she was throughout all of it and just like no like she I feel like she tried to take as many good fucking turns as possible and I can't believe that she did so much for so many people and I've never heard of her before. The peaceful transition of power from a dictatorship to a democracy there wasn't a war Katie. I can't believe that. This was in our lifetime and it just happened 
they That's just amazing. transferred and he just went into exile and even president marcus's kids came to see her casket because they wanted to pay respects to her they knew what she did i i can't i mean what an incredible woman an incredible strong woman that's amazing female presidents we need you we need you now calling all female presidents (laughs) please all right great well are you ready for another drink i'm so ready (laughs) let's do it right back Now, check out an ad for this brand new Herstory podcast that we just found out about. Brooke, name three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay, now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman, Anthony, um, uh, Roosevelt. Eleanor. Okay, it took you longer to name the women. Okay. Harsh, but yes. (laughs) One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum. We're talking themes and important women. And Kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school. Each week on our website, www.remedialherstory.com, I post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode. And we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and linked them for you. Check it out. You can find Remedial Herstory anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back. We're back for part two with a brand new dessert cocktail. This is <laughs> so cute. I'm obsessed with it. Look how cute it is. It's adorable. Everybody look. It has a bendy straw and everything. We've had two two cocktails in a row now with bendy straws, so Listen, it's very exciting. We're killing turtles <laughs> one step at a time. I know. We just told you straws are terrible, but now we have them. Listen, um, pollution is the theme <laughs> of the evening. So, Allie, do you want to know what you're about to drink? I really do. Okay, so this cocktail is called the Stick and Poke. It is an ounce of vodka, an ounce of, or a half ounce of triple sec, an ounce of orange juice, and a splash of heavy cream, and some vanilla extract. So you can do vanilla extract, or you can do vanilla vodka. Whatever you got. (laughs) You shake it really well just to make sure everything's all mixed in, because this is a cream cocktail. And then you strain it into a champagne flute, and you top the whole thing with champagne and whipped cream. And cheers. Cheers. <laughs> this is a bonkers. Mine had three ingredients. Yours has 70. <laughs> so good. Mm. Listen, I learned the hard way about shaking in cream cocktails. Yes. Remember? Yes. <laughs> the Jenna Jameson cocktail is so I th- crazy. I, I thought if you shook it less, it wouldn't curdle. Turns out. Oh, no. It's the opposite. I didn't. <laughs> if somebody could explain to me the science of that, I would love it. But here we are. Here we are. So, yeah, I wanted to, because, like, Maud Wagner is another person very involved with the circus. And for the Sutherland sisters, I did a root beer float. So I was like, I really want to make, like, another, like, kind of carnival-esque cocktail. Mm. So so I wanted to do, a like, a take on a cream sickle. So, well, this is so your this is it. third 
circus person. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. Like no, we I do this. Them. I know you do, but we <laughs> get in these like well, it's like, oh well Katie well, should clearly do mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Um apparently I'm Asian politics. <laughs> <laughs> well now you're just so well versed. If I did it, I'd just make a fool of a myself. F- a literal fool. <laughs> no, um yeah, so we did the bearded lady from Latin America mm-hmm. and then the Sutherland sisters, mm-hmm. the seven Sutherland <laughs> sisters. And now this who recommended this. So this was recommended by Marion Rivera. So thank you so much. This was such a blast. I hope you enjoy listening to this in your windmill in Spain. Uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, and you make fun of all of our pronunciation. <laughs> and we, as perfect. soon as, as soon as Americans are allowed to travel abroad again, because of our horrible, horrible adherence to covid policy we Mm -hmm. will absolutely visit you in spain we definitely will and go sightseeing it's gonna be a blast uh technically i should have been there last week i know (laughs) i know for your second my second honeymoon Um, that's okay but listen all of you friends who have offered to take us to lunch or like go to lunch with us or like have us over we're we're gonna do it we are. Allie and I might just take a whole month off work and just travel around and, and travel the meet world. all the people that and make a documentary <gasps> about it. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Her street on the road. <laughs> documentary. Colon, colon. Colon. A documentary. A documentary. <laughs> oh my, okay. Colon. In case you were wondering. <laughs> Semicolon. Okay. The second oh, time. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, okay. So, Maud Wagner. Here's what I know. Okay. Um. She, I know about her very famous picture. I know she was a tattooed lady in a circus. I know that the podcast, nevertheless, she existed, uses a picture of her as their cover photo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about her life. Her tattoos okay. are super cool. Yeah. She looks, her face looks very modern. Like she could be a badass from today, but mm-hmm. she doesn't necessarily look like a tattooed badass. She's no Kat Von D. No, she's not. No, she's just like a cool circus tattooed girl yeah and i'd love to learn about her life so give me the deets well you will so maude stevens was born on february 12th 1877 in kansas to parents david van buren stevens a civil war veteran and sarah jane mcgee we don't know a lot about her early life or her life in general to be honest with you but we can guess that she grew up not too different from dorothy gale on a farm in kansas dreaming of a spectacular life wow i know somewhere over I'm the really tattoo trying needle, right? to sell it <laughs> you, you have sold it you said dorothy gale and i was <laughs> so when she was a teenager maude left home in search of adventure and where does every late 1800s era girl find venture, adventure? The circus. Maude used her natural flexibility to become an acrobat, an aerialist, and a contortionist for the traveling circus. So cool, right? Yeah. So she was like the girl that does the like, I'm going to bring my feet over my shoulders and like yeah. twist myself into a pretzel. Yes. Got it. She's pretzel girl. Pretzel girl. So she... If she wanted excitement, I mean, this is it. All of a sudden, she's traveling all over the U.S., performing every night, meeting the most interesting people, and just having a kick-ass time. Like, she loves it. Um, She did this for quite some time, but when she was 27, their little carnival crew was heading off to, quite frankly, where everyone in the world was going, the 1904 St. Louis World World Fair. Fair. 
very exciting. I, I wish we could go back. I wish you could search terms in po- audio terms and find how many times we brought up the World Fair in St. Louis. I know. I know. Because between that and the Chicago, everybody was fucking there and everything happened there. Like everyone passes through the World's Fairs because they were such huge deals. They're so important. Yeah, they really are. Can you give us a little number real quick? Yeah. What's the number? The the St. Louis World Fair number. Didn't oh. <laughs> Oh, a musical number. <laughs> Can you, I mean, meet me in St. Louis, Louis. Yeah. Meet what, me at the fair. Okay, that was it. It's what I meant. I hope it was good. Um, <laughs> I was going for ding, 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 went the trolley, but okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I was the lead in that high school musical. Thank you very much. So. We're better together. <laughs> when you say high school musical, I can't. Okay. So the Louisiana Purchase Expedition, which was the official title, because um, it was I didn't realize that they were also like meant to like celebrate like big events like this was a like a centennial of the Louisiana Purchase. Mm. Um, and it was held from April 30th to December 1st, 1904. It was like seven months. Wow. Can you imagine? Talk about a run fest that lasts I a mean, long time. Come on. I mean, but they also like built buildings for them. Like yeah. the Eiffel Tower was built for a World Fair. So like, I feel like that makes sense. It makes sense. And what is it in New York? It's the park uh, with uh, the globe and the yes. two things that Will Smith flies into outer space in. Don't know. I've never seen that movie. Um. Sorry. Sorry, everybody <laughs> in New York. I've been to them. I don't know the name. Record Park. Record, Record Park? Echo? No, Echo Park's in San Francisco or Los it's Angeles. It's not Battery Park. It might it's be in Record. California. Sorry, everyone in New York. Battery Park sounds right. Anyways, um, mm. I mean, this Louisiana Purchase Expedition brought... About 20 million people from a total of 62 countries to the fair state of Missouri. Wow. And the expedition was, again, kind of a sequel to the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. And it was the place to be in 1904. People are bringing their new inventions. They're bringing things they found. They're bringing fucking everything. They're like, I got a cool something to show you. I'm going to bring it to the World's Fair. It is incredible. And Maude did find some excitement in seeing some of the latest and greatest of the day, such as the wireless telephone, a rudimentary fax machine, (laughs) and an x-ray machine. Like, I don't understand what anybody's doing right now. That's insane. But she was super into one thing in particular, and that was a sailor named Augustus or Gus Wagner and his tattoos. I love his last name. I know. That's coming up. Gus. 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 (laughs) <laughs> I imagine that they saw each other across the room and it's like this magic moment. But Gus is looking at her and she's like looking down at the tattoo, <laughs> that tattooing he's doing because that's what he's doing at the world fair. He's giving people tattoos. So, so they she, lock eyes. They lock eyes. Her eyes go down to what he's doing on the person's arm mm-hmm. and his eyes are on her, not on his work. So there's a lot of crisscross applesauce going on. It's wild. And it's slow-mo. It's a big slow-mo magic moment. And the needle's like, there's magic moment. Exactly. Now we all have the picture in our head. So the two met and of course, Gus asked her out on a date and she said, yeah, I'll go on a date with you if you teach me how to tattoo. Ooh. <laughs> so wait, she's going to be a tattoo artist. Yes. Well, damn. Damn is right. So I didn't, didn't know she really I was know, Kat Van Dyke. I know. So they go on a date, leaving the two of them like in total love and Maud with an American flag and bald eagle on her bicep. And they were both hooked. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's such it's such a Kansas tattoo. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> I know. From the great state of Kansas with an American flag on my <laughs> in a bicep. eagle. Did she have mom on her other <laughs> bicep in a heart? She's not a pirate. No, Sorry. she had a Maud written there. She did not her own name? Yeah. We'll get to it. Wow. <laughs> so to give you a little background on this character, Gus Wagner, he was born in 1872 in Marietta, Ohio. And he says that he first saw a heavily tattooed man when he was 12 years old, like down on the docks in Ohio. I didn't know they had docks in Ohio, but apparently they're not landlocked. Uh, it touches one of the Great Lakes. There we go. So <laughs> he was absolutely like transfixed by this sailor. And as soon as he could, he joined the crew of a ship and became a merchant seaman from Ohio. He traveled all over the world to Mexico, Hawaii, London, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. But the two places he loved the most were Borneo and Java in Indonesia. So it was That's here. Three places. <laughs> no, Java's in Indonesia. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you were saying these three places. Okay, got it. Um, and it was in these places where he learned the traditional art of stick and poke tattoos. Now, the thing about tattoos is they have a really incredible history that literally spans the entire world. The oldest mummy we have with tattoos is from Egypt and he's like 5,000 years old. Like the oldest, oldest thing we have on the planet has tattoos. So it has been around forever. And I kind of love that it's this thing that like has really big significance in a lot of different cultures, but everybody was doing it. And like around the same time. So like, it wasn't something that was like from one place in particular, like people all over the world were doing it, which is really cool, but in very different ways. Oh yeah. I saw this documentary on the history channel one time of this guy who traveled around the world and got tattoos in different traditional ways. <gasps> That's so cool. It was really cool. And we also talked about it in the Pocahontas episode, how yeah. they always had her all covered up in English yep. clothing because she most likely had red tattoos all yeah. over her body. Absolutely. And like some cultures saw tattoos in it as like this rite of passage or a religious act. But then we also know that throughout history, forced tattooing has been a mark of like oppressed people, Absolutely. you know? So we also have to acknowledge that like some people see tattoos as like a very bad thing of like, no, like that tattoo marked me as like a slave or like a number in a concentration camp or something, you know, like right. it's a very complicated history that people feel very differently about. I think, um, right. You can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery with chosen tattoos. Chosen. Ta yeah, I right. think so. I think. Um, and it was like a big thing. Like, again, like when all that was happening is like, you know, Jewish people have been against tattoos for a very long time and then they were like forced to get them. Right. So like it's something to take into consider when talking about the history of tattoos because like everybody loves them, but then some people were forced to get them and it's not okay. Right. Of course. Um, of so, course. So, yeah, the history of tattooing is way too big and complicated to do a comprehensive history here. Um, but where Gus learned his craft in Indonesia, the tattoos were all done with the hand poked method. So literally like a needle dipped in ink and like pressed in by hand or like, you know, in some areas it's like kind of hit with a stick. Um, and there are a lot of different ways that this can be done. Um, and apparently, so I read this on a website of an Indonesian tattoo artist. He said that people traditionally got these tattoos to represent their life experiences so that when you died, you could be recognized in the afterlife. 
Wow. Which was super interesting. Mm -hmm. I just like, I don't know. I didn't, I've never thought about it in that context, but like for like, that's what he said on the website. I feel like that's how, like, (laughs) I feel like that's how Maui was in Moana. Yeah. Each time he did a thing, like his chest told a story. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a Pacific Island. He is. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like, you know, like that was like representative of like all your like travels. Um, so Gus learns the art. He totally falls in love with it and he brings it back to the U S. Um, obviously not people have been doing tattoos in the U S forever. Um, but he brings the stick and poke method with him and he started what would be a 40 year long career as a tattoo artist. Um, so again, tattooing had been a part of U S culture for quite some time, but it was predominantly seen on the coast because it's again, mainly sailors who have tons of tattoos because they're traveling places and seeing this thing. And they're like, I want to do that. And they're getting all these to kind of, again, like represent where they've been and what they've done. So it'd be kind of, I know it's like kind of, uh, stereotypical to be like, Oh, like all sailors have the mom tattoo on their bicep or whatever. But it's like a lot of them really did like tattooing was a sailor thing um and by 1901 gus had 264 tattoos wow and he was known as the most artistically marked up man in america that was like his big thing which was a little like it's kind of a mouthful so he preferred to go by the tattooed globetrotter which I love because mm-hmm. then it makes me think of the Globetrotters and when they help Scooby-Doo solve a mystery. Uh, the, um, Harlem <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Have you ever seen them when they come I through? I have Baltimore? always wanted to. I've gone once. We'll <gasps> go the next time they come. We totally should. Okay. I mean, the, the last time they came, I was like buying tickets for the girls and then COVID hit. It oh was, like, my la- God. It was like last no. March because they haven't seen it. I've always wanted to go, so I will go with you and like watch your kids while you go to the bathroom. Also, one of my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> episodes of Friends is when Joey and Chandler dress up for Halloween as the jerseys of the guys who play against the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> which is like a very popular like Halloween costume because they like always lose. Yeah, that's like the joke. <laughs> Whatever, very fun. That's great. Um, so. Gus came back and he, um, you know, starts tattooing. And what he did, which is really interesting, is he brought tattooing inland. So it was always a coast thing. And especially when he and Maude get together, they bring it to like the Midwest. Because people in the Midwest, like they don't fucking live near sailors. And like sailors aren't really super hyped on like just making a little detour to fucking Kansas. Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to. There's no place like home. (laughs) Click your heels together. You'll be in Kansas. And it's like, why? And like, this is like, why? Like people like tattooed ladies and shows were like really crazy because it was like, oh my gosh, like what the fuck is happening here? Um, So him and Maude like bring it inland. Um, And uh, before he met Maude, he had started traveling with circus people. He would like give people of the circus as well as patrons of the circus tattoos after like he would do a show because he was a tattooed man for a while. And Again, when he and Maude got together and she joined him, eventually when she got all hers, they became a tattooed couple, which was uh, apparently way more exciting than one tattooed person. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because um, tattooed ladies were really where it was at because it was rare. Right? It was more very rare. rare. Okay. Um, so tattooed people had become kind of a common part of the carnival circus world after Olive Oatman famously went on tour 
bearing the blue striped tattoos on her chin that she had received after being kidnapped by a Native American tribe and living with them for four years. Now, I'm not going to get into her story because we will definitely cover her in oh, the future. we've seen her pictures. Yeah, it's really an, an, an incredible story. But it started this trend of people coming to the circus to see people with tattoos and hear their stories. Because, of course, that's the most fascinating part of tattoos for a lot of people. It's like the first questions you get, of course, are like, what does it mean and how do you get it? And a lot of people, too, it's what is it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, because you and I both have tattoos. So we both have two. We both have two. So I have, and actually both of mine are done by female tattoo artists, which is cool. Um, I have the, I have a coffee plant on my arm, which one person said, what is that? Pot plant? And I said, <laughs> it looks absolutely nothing like pot. Nothing like pot. It really <laughs> looks like a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> coffee plant. And then I have an aloe plant on my on my little elbow. Right. Allie, what tattoos do you have? I have a snowflake on my hip because I was 19. <laughs> I love that tattoo. I like it too. I like it a lot too. It's very hidden because mm-hmm. I was the first one of my siblings to get a tattoo. Mm-hmm. Still only actually. The only one really? of my siblings. Yeah. Um, and then I have a Baltimore blue crab on my arm that was drawn by Mora. Listener um, Mora, who requested yeah. um, Pamela Coleman Smith last week. Yeah, yeah. And she, um, yeah, she drew it for me and sent it to me digitally because she's in Boston. And mm-hmm. then I gave it to a tattoo artist and they um, did the little stencil on my arm and did it. But you can it. also have Mora do your you tattoo can. art. She, she does amazing tattoo work. She does. And she draws it and sends it to you digitally asks you what you want to change mm-hmm. and then you send it she'll send it back and then you can take it with you wherever it's incredible so it's really cool. if you want one like yeah reach out to um indigo lotus yeah. is, and is she does mandalas so her stuff is like very intricate and yes. i sent her something very simple yeah and she, and she still nailed it. it still nailed it nailed it um yeah it's incredible um but it's funny because i feel kind of weird that like i've I have tat- two tattoos, but I've never had the tattoo shop experience. Oh, both of mine were in <laughs> tattoo shops and both men. <laughs> yeah. And bo- my kids came to this one. That's a- they <laughs> sat there with me while I got a tattoo. They're like, does it hurt? Does it hurt? Does it hurt? I was like, whatever. It was summer break. I was yeah. like, I don't have anybody to watch them while I get this awesome tattoo. That's so great. <laughs> I love it. My first one was done in a living room. <laughs> And my second one was done um, in a place that shortly after got shut down because it was kind of like an artist co-op building. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just it was I yeah, it's I've never gotten a tattoo in an actual tattoo shop. I love a tattoo. <laughs> They're great. I try to space mine out because I don't want to yeah. have too many. But yeah. I love them. Yeah. I'm oh, a I, little yeah. addictive. Oh, they're great. Um, OK. Da-da-da-da-da. So there's a trend now of people who have who are are the tattooed people in circus kind of having these um elaborate stories and the first tattooed lady besides olivia so olivia was kind of the original with like the blue lines and she'd give this very speech about what happened to her um but then comes nora hildebrand (laughs) and she is tattooed i mean from again like her head to toe all over her body and she starts touring in the late 1890s and she would tell the tales of the tattoos that covered her entire body saying that they were also marks of native americans which she would describe in great detail and then there'd also be some sort of sexual story involved just to tantalize the viewers 
And looking back on it, it is obviously like very racist and super problematic because she got the tattoos from her very white husband very consensually. Mm. And it's like, come on. It was a money-making scam. It was a money-making scam that so many women and like other people, like men too, like did. They're like, oh, the Native Americans did this to me because they're savage. Isn't this savage? And it's like, no, like that's a bald eagle with an American flag. I don't think that the native americans did that yeah it's like one thing that happened and then everybody like right took it and then like domino domino yeah. effect across it's the like, country that's a heart with the word mom in the middle <laughs> i don't think that the apache did that Ooh, um that's a skull with two crosses yeah, that, that was make clear, that was clearly captain hook <laughs> <laughs> um p.s Maud never did that we'll get to that Good but she, she never ever was like this is from a tribe i'm you know tribal tribal um because being a tattooed woman in the circus could be very lucrative so like people kind of tolerated men with tattoos but they were definitely seen as kind of scuzzy and criminal-esque um kind of like they are now um because i mean only if they have tattoos on their neck now. yeah well because like they've actually like had a real problem with that because juries convict people with tattoos um that more, more often like they're more often found guilty than people without tattoos so like lawyers are like very strict about that they're like cover up your tattoos like wear fucking gloves if you need to makeup. like people do they they hire a professional makeup artist to come in and cover people's tattoos because you're more likely to be convicted if you my have them. dancer friends would use really thick makeup to cover up tattoos yeah um I mean, it's just, it is crazy, like, when you think about the amount of tattoos that, mm-hmm. like, how, what it means when mm-hmm. it's, like, does it actually mean that? Because there are teachers for a long time were not allowed to have tattoos. Yeah. Um, You'd have to cover them up. But then it's, like, then it became, like, oh, well, art teachers could have tattoos, right. like, on their arms. And then it was, like, but there was this, I just read an article, like, a couple weeks ago about an elementary school male teacher who had two sleeves and, like, got in trouble. Um, I think I know what story you're talking about. Yeah. Did you read that? Yes. He did not have just have two sleeves. He had tattoos like all over his face. Oh, wow. He had. <laughs> wow. And it's the same story. There might be two different ones. Yeah, I'm but not there, sure. There was an elementary school teacher who had like his, he was bald and he had his like whole head and face tattooed, kind of like a reptilian. Oh, that's <laughs> scary. <laughs> that's the thing. It's like. Kids were coming home from school and having nightmares about their teacher. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same story because, like, I do think that teachers should be allowed to have, like, sleeves and stuff. But, like, That's maybe wild. face tattoos are not okay. That's wild. <laughs> and, I, again, I don't know. I didn't research it myself. I heard it on a podcast. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm also a middle school teacher with, like, a nose ring and a tattoo on my arm. So, like, I have right. to be very cautious about what I'm, like pushing to my students who could have very conservative parents because you can there's a lot of people who don't approve of facial piercings or tattoos and mine are so unoffensive it's wild i literally (laughs) forget all the time that i have a giant hoop in my nose i i legitimately forget and like hmm i just met with uh very conservative clients who probably disapproved and like looked oh, down on me when i cares? got there but i don't care it's like if you we all wear tattoo- masks now what does it matter message us and we'll send you something we'll send you a personal um tattoo, rub-on tattoo. <laughs> i'll send you a temporary tattoo it'll be great 
So, um, of your choosing. <laughs> um, so anyways, so, you know, like, and women with tattoos were also like, just like creatures from another planet. I mean, people did not like it. Of course they couldn't like live in normal society if you were a woman with that many tattoos. They so like the only want to see woman's skin, they really didn't. Um, but of course, you know, people would pay to see it, but they didn't want it in their mm. society. <laughs> um, so anyway. Back to like what Maude and Gus are doing. They fall in love and they start going to town on each other's bodies with ink, of course. And Maude soon has an incredible collection of tattoos going from the base of her neck all the way down to the tops of her feet. They are very traditional tattoos. Um, For the time, she had the patriotic tattoos that we talked about. Tattoos of monkeys, butterflies, lions, horses, snakes, trees, and women. Just all sorts of things. Um, Gus gave her most of her tattoos. Um, and we even have a photo of Gus giving her her, that very first tattoo we talked about. Um, and she even tattooed herself writing her own name on her left arm. Maude was a natural with the stick and poke method and her and Gus traveled the country with their skill. And soon everyone wanted to have a Gus or a Maude. So now she has like people actually traveling to her just to get a tattoo done by her. It's so cool. And they had not only brought tattooing again, like inland to like the Midwest, but they'd also changed kind of the vibe around it because they treated it like a real art form. And there were also like, you know, some of the, they were also some of the few tattoo artists who were actively not using tattoo machines. They preferred the traditional stick and poke method because it felt more authentic to them. So the tattoo machine had actually been around for quite some time when they were on the circuit. Um, the first one was created by Samuel O'Reilly in 1891, and he took the idea from Thomas Edison to create it. To Edison had invented an electric pen, so like this very delicate writing device with this tiny little motor, and O'Reilly was like, Ooh, I bet that would work real nice on human skin, like a <laughs> lunatic. Um, just the kidding, he was fine. <laughs> and... From there on, it has obviously been fine-tuned and turned into what we know today. Um, nowadays, there are a few different types of machines out there. Um, but according to a tattoo artist that I know who did my first one, actually, if you're a real tattoo artist, you never call it a tattoo gun. Which That's what I always called it. Mm. I was like, yeah, the tattoo gun that they use. And she was like, no, like if you're actually into it, like you only refer to it as a tattoo machine, which I didn't know. So... If you uh, want to be in on the inside, um, oh, call it a tattoo machine, <laughs> tattoo machine. Um, but again, Maud and Gus preferred the stick and poke method, and they became famous for their art. And Maud became the first known American female tattoo artist. So, of course, like tribal women had been doing it for years, so it's important to point it's important to point that out. Um, but she was the first American woman to like make a career out of it that would look familiar to us that we know of. Right. And the thing that made her stick out was that she got tattoos and gave tattoos because she really fucking loved it. Again, some of the other women on the circuit, um, they may have loved tattoos as well, but a lot of them just did it because they didn't know what else to do. And they're like, well, if I get tattoos, I can be a part of the circus and I can make money, money like I can have I can earn a living with this thing. 
Um, and this is also why Maude didn't have to make a show of lying about her tattoos and making up these racist stories because she was like, yeah, you can come look at them. But really, like, I'm trying to make my money giving tattoos, mm. you know, like that was like her real main goal. Um, so from what we know, she is, again, the first, but she definitely wouldn't be the last. Um, another super influential female tattoo artist of the era that I want to mention really quick was the queen of the Bowery, Mildred Hall. She actually learned to tattoo just by experimenting on herself. Um, but she eventually received her first professional tattoo from an artist named Charlie Wagner, who not related to Maude and Gus. I couldn't believe That's it. That's very it's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> Same last name. Different Same people. last name. Um, but Mildred was a tattooed burlesque dancer for many years, and she ran a successful tattoo parlor out of a barbershop in the Bowery in New York City for 25 years. Millie, as she was known, was one of the only female artists, like tattoo artists on the East Coast, and she was crucial to evolving the tattoo scene in New York. But unfortunately, she died in 1947 at a fairly young age when she poisoned herself in a restaurant. I don't know. I want to know more about this story, but I could not find it. Wow. She poisoned herself in a restaurant. Way to drop that bomb. I know. That's how I felt when I was researching it. I was like, what in the world is going on here? So if anyone has... Like food poisoning? Are we talking like E. coli? No. I am talking like she was at a restaurant. She's eating her Salisbury steak. She dips some freaking cyanide into her drink and like kills herself at the table. We're talking Joffrey poison. Again, from what I understand, I don't actually know if that happened at all. But she poisoned. They said she committed suicide at a restaurant by poisoning herself. So I don't know what the hell was going on. Um, Okay. so if anyone had like, I don't know if the Bowery Boys have like done an episode on her or anything. But if anyone has any info on her, I'd love to hear it. Seriously, let us know. Um, But one more very important female tattoo artist we have to talk about is the girl who took the torch literally from Maude herself. Lavetta Wagner, Gus and Maude's daughter. <laughs> so she started tattooing at just nine years old and she made a stellar career out of it. But interestingly enough, she's one of the few tattoo artists that was never inked herself. She had no tattoos. Wow. I didn't even know that existed. I know. Because when she was young, Maude forbade Gus from giving her any tattoos. And she was like, well, if I can't get a tattoo from my dad, I don't want one at all. So because like dad wasn't allowed to give her one, she just never got one. And Lavetta tattooed for the rest of her life, giving her last tattoo in 1983. And it was a rose on Don Ed Hardy. <laughs> that is banana. I know. What a weird. I know. <laughs> it's just a weird like now I'm getting like images of like Jersey Shore, like just blasted into my brain. I'm like. How did we get here? The weirdest thing is that her, like, Maud's parents were, like, out of Civil War, Kansas, and her daughter was in 1983. Maud's daughter. I know. That's how close we are to slavery. That's, <clears throat> that's, that's a great point. That how is a close. great point. <laughs> I, I really want that to sink into people. Yeah. It's fucking wild. So, as for Mud and Gu- Maud and Gus... <laughs> Mud and Gus. Um, Maud and Gus. I want to be part of that. After <laughs> many years on the road, um, they get kind of sick of the circus world. So they struck out on their own. They were doing vaudeville shows and tattooing all along the way. Um, but eventually Maud's parents got sick. So they went back home to Kansas to take care of them. 
uh, they stayed there for the rest of their lives. Even after her parents died, they just kind of, you know, kept the family farm. They kept the lively tattoo business going. So they're just, they're doing their best, man. (laughs) They are farming and tattooing all over Kansas. They are living every millennial's dream. Um, (laughs) That is nothing close to my dream. Um, I want to be in a flat in New York <laughs> that has roaches and costs $5 million Perfect. a month. <laughs> Perfect. So not much else is known um, about Maud and her career. Um, we know that unfortunately on June 10th, 1941, Gus passed away. Um, but because he is Gus Wagner, he had to go out with a bang. Um, and he died by being struck by lightning. No, he didn't. <laughs> Apparently. One in a million, this man. Literally one in a million. <laughs> I can't believe it. Um, and Maybe then, he was using <laughs> metallic ink. Probably. <laughs> and then Maud followed um, almost 20 years later exactly. Um, she died at the age of 84 on January 30th, 1961. Wow. She undoubtedly had a major impact on the tattoo world for years to come. Um, her image has been a calling card of female rebels for years, including, as we said before, a friend of the podcast. Nevertheless, she existed and she remains an icon for women in the arts, gals in the tattoo world and ladies who look a little different. And that's the story of Maude Wagner. What a good story. <laughs> I just I, I don't know what I expected, but I'm I was very impressed. <laughs> good. The whole I, time. Well, that's the thing. I had to include a lot of like. I feel like her story was cool because there were a lot of like annex stories, you know, there's a, like, there were like a couple things that I was like, well, I want to talk about this and I want to talk about that because like, frankly, the story of her life is very, very short and to the point and to the point. It's like she lived, she tattooed, she died. Yeah. But like when you consider everything that was kind of coming in to surround her life it becomes a really rich story it's hard because when we have a woman like Maud, and we don't necessarily have a diary or an autobiography mm-hmm. or letters we don't get that personal aff- affect we yeah. only get like what happens surrounding her and i think you did an excellent job ah. describing that thank you perfect all right so now we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call just the two of us hmm. okay so these women are very different there's some archipelago countries involved here we've got <laughs> that's true the philippines and indonesia that those are very close like in geography at different that's time true. periods but like I just, I felt like the um, Maud and Gus specifically being in Indonesia, right? Was it Gus? Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Fed off of an Indonesian culture that was untainted by colonialization. And Mm -hmm. Corazon was in a Filipino culture that had been tainted. No, colonialization. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like kind of the end result of that is them both being kind of uh, them both existing in kind of an ignored group. Mm. <laughs> so I can't believe that the Philippines went through this whole saga of democracy to dictatorship to democracy. And I just had no idea that like a woman was at the helm of that because I feel like the U.S. is very like self-focused and we just, you know, don't like to 
um, think about what's going on in other countries that are not Western. But even what's funny and about it is we have really good relationships with the Philippines. Yeah. And I was always just like, we had a military base and then we gave it back. I just never even knew we had a military base there. Oh, it was during the war because it was close to Japan. Ooh, that makes sense. Um, but I feel like, and like, so we have the Philippines and then we have like Gus and Maud and kind of like this like circus tattoo group who are also kind of like ignore and it's like we want to pay attention to to you and we have something to gain it's like Mm. we pay attention to you when you know we want to see an exciting show but then we want you to leave our town it's like we want to pay attention to the philippines when we have again like a military interest there but then it's like "Mm, uh, we don't want to think about you all the time (laughs) and what that can kind of do to people like i feel like you I don't know. You kind of have to make it work in those settings. And again, like not that the U.S. has to pay attention to the Philippines in order for it to thrive. Like the Philippines is obviously doing fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Like they'll be fine. But like, you know, from my perspective, like I just feel like they are groups that tend to be like not thought of as much. Yeah. It's funny because like the whole thing I think was about representation Mm. and it's like for Maud and for Gus, like they were representing themselves and they were representing their tattoos as what they wanted instead of as this like galvanized version of like some false story they were telling. And I think the Philippines is the most true post world war ii story because we know what happened in the splitting of the koreas and we know what happened in vietnam and we know that there's been struggles you know when there was east and west berlin like we know that like the united states and the soviet union taking these places and splitting them apart has not worked well and it has like evolved world history and the philippines just ended up having a u.s base and i'm not saying that what we did was great i'm just saying it was the representation of the philippines clearly they have spanish influences clearly they have catholic influences clearly it's not like you know quote unquote a native cultural vibe in the philippines but they got to write their own story because they could kick everybody out and everybody else kind of unfortunately drew war in yeah and i feel like yeah you're right like the situation kind of got worse for for a lot of those countries and uh, thankfully like the philippines came out of it it seems like it got worse and then it got better it it got worse and then it got better it's like gus and maude ending up in kansas they were like hey we're just gonna be here with a farm back up yep no (laughs) exactly but you know what i think that that shows is that like women being involved does so much good because like Gus probably would have just kind of existed as kind of like a gruff sailor guy, like doing tattoos and whatever. But I think with Maud, they're kind of pushing it and being like, no, like we can make this a really cool art form because now like she's way more famous than him. There's no Wikipedia page on Gus Wagner, the most artistically marked up man in the world, the, you know, tattooed globe trotter, but there is one, no matter how short it is on Maud. And I think that just proves the point that like when women are involved in things, it doesn't make it worse. Like the ship isn't going to go fucking down because there's a woman on board actually probably sail better because you have someone there being like, Hey, um, I don't know if you guys thought of this. (laughs) It's me or her. I don't have a penis. So I think that it should go this way. Um, but like, and again, it is cool. Like, and like, 
not that you have to have a penis to be a man or whatever. Yeah. But like, I'm so, I'm like, my head is swimming right now. It's so many, um, I, it's so many things <laughs> all at once. It's so many things all at once. And I'm trying to like make a connection between the world politics. and Well, here's tattoos. the connection. It's the stigma. There, there's yes. a stigma between women yes. and politics and there's a stigma of women with body art because you're not supposed to do those things yeah. because you're supposed to be at home yeah. and you're supposed to be having babies and you're supposed to be raising kids. So both of these women were going against the tide pool. They were saying, I'm not going to do what you think I'm supposed to do. Yeah. No, you're so you're so right. Like, as I wrote down that they are both just like, frankly, at the core, like rebellious women who were putting themselves in a man's world and changing it for the better. And so much of both of our stories was literally about the man they were married to. And that is okay. Yeah. It doesn't make you a lesser woman if your husband did something and then he faltered and you followed up with an ace of spades. Yeah. Like that's okay. Absolutely. It's not riding on somebody's coattails. It doesn't mean anything. Men and women in power together are incredible couples and like good for you if you both feel the same way and you're working really hard towards something. But then if the female becomes more famous because it's more rare for a female to be like that, I am very glad that Gus apparently, you know, he may have died before it happened, but I'm sure he was fine with it. And then I also think the same is true of Ninoy. He just wanted to prosper and he didn't care whether it was him or his wife. And then Unfortunately, he passed and his wife took over I, like there. That's happened for years in monarchies where women take over when a king dies. But we just didn't see it as democracy. And now it's like, oh, you're making the choice to take over. Right. Well, and I think of like also like talking about stigma. It's like they both learned like from and with like the men they were with. And like, again, like you were saying, like, that's totally OK. It's like, I feel like sometimes we want like powerful women to be like totally separate from men. And it's like, it's okay for you to grow together as long as like everybody's okay with it. There's no overshadowing. (laughs) Yeah. There's well, yeah. And again, it's, it's difficult because the, unfortunately, like kind of like we talk about with like male sponsorship and things Mm -hmm. like that, it is a thing that is important in this world. Oh yeah. Because we live in a patriarchal world and for them both to have men by their side who were like encouraging and like bringing them into the world because like it's really fucking difficult. And we see that like, I don't know. I just, I think it's really cool that they both kind of broke into these spheres and had men supporting them because that's, I don't know. And we needed both of these women. No, we And totally they were both did. firsts in their field. We no, had the totally first, were. you know, female, like famous female tattoo artist that was not a native. It's so often the native community in the United States and in Canada and Mexico and all of Latin America get totally overlooked. So like yeah. the first white female yes. tattoo artist in, you know, the continental North America. And then the first like female president in continental Asia, because mm-hmm. it's also important to point out that like, there are a lot of female leaders. Like we've done some of them like Empress Wu and like stuff like that, but the, like quote unquote president, the way we see it in a democratic government, like right. these women were first in their own right. And no, cool. they totally were. 
And it's awesome no matter how they fucking got there or like what they did when they got there. Because again, like they're both human and like, I just, I don't know. I love both of them. And I think that they both did very cool things. They did. Um, I, I'm, I'm blown I, away by <laughs> the, the fact that these stories relate at all. I was very worried. No, me too. Um, coming into the, well, I knew who Maud was. So coming in with the first female Filipino president, I was yeah. very worried. I'm like, Ooh, I hope <laughs> we can turn this into something. Well, we're going to happen. Um, <laughs> well, and I guess like, you know, my takeaway is like, no matter who you're pairing yourself with, or if you choose not to pair with someone, like make sure it's someone who fucking supports you. Yeah. And if you are a person who doesn't want to be paired with another person, you know, make sure you surround yourself with people who support you because I, I feel so bad when people exist in any sort of relationship, whether it's romantic or a friendship where they can't feel proud of the success that they have or right. what they want to do or the things that they, you know, dream of. And I think that's kind of the takeaway that I have from this, these two stories is like, these women both felt so encouraged by their partners to do something greater. And, and then what it turned out is that everybody else in the world wanted them too. Yeah, exactly. Everybody else mm. was like, yeah, we like you. I love it. Do it. All right. You ready to toast? I'm so ready to toast. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? So this is kind of a hard one, but I want to toast women who act as the head of something. Ooh. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be your family. It could be the PTA at your school. It could be any random organization, but it could also be a government. It could be a business. It could be, you know, you're the principal of a school or like... Katie, you're the head of a small business. Like if you're the head of something, it's it's necessary and it's beautiful and it's hard and you feel undervalued and you feel unimportant and you know, like just keep doing it. Just like keep being like, "Hey, this is what we're doing today, everybody." Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and that's my toast. All right, cheers. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What are you toasting tonight? I am going to toast the interesting women of the world because mm. you make life so much more fun. So fun. And I love a cool tattooed lady. And I just think that you're great. And I'm going to toast to you. <laughs> Cheers. To your greatness. Mm -hmm. All right, Allie. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So this is a little bit of a weird one. <laughs> I just want to. Allie, I literally did hard bowl eggs a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it can be that <laughs> okay, weird. Okay, you win, you win. Mine's not that weird then. <laughs> I just want to, I'm, I really want to promote young people in politics. So yeah. I know not everybody is like in on the Maryland politics, but there is a man named Brandon Scott and he just became the youngest mayor in Baltimore history ever. How old is he? He's younger than Jake and I. What? So he's early 30s. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's incredible. And he was, before that, the youngest city councilman ever elected in Baltimore. And here's the thing. It's not easy, but you can do it. I think a lot of us look at Gen Xers and baby boomers and we think, like, we can't do that. We're not ready for that. We're not old enough for that. But, no, it's our time. This is it. Yeah. And, um... 
I mean, I can't because I've had this podcast, so my opinions are <laughs> drunkenly put out there. <laughs> so, like, I will never yeah. be able to be in politics, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, because I don't want to. But um, I just know. So for the last, you know, however many years that in Baltimore, Brandon Scott has been on the city council. Anytime there was a fire or a shooting or a house exploded, which has happened a lot recently in Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> then... Brandon Scott was on the news at 2 a.m., which means he was watching 24 hours a day and yeah. he would show up and be interviewed by whoever. It, nobody was calling him. He was showing up. It's like, and listen, I don't necessarily agree with all his politics either. I don't disagree with all of them. I'm just saying that young people in the world, Republicans, Democrats, independent, Green Party, like it's time. Millennials, yeah. you're in your 30s. Wake up. And run for something. It's totally time because contrary to popular belief, we don't need an elderly white male president. <laughs> and um, once you're 35, you can run I, for president. And we have had presidents that are like 35. That's my age. We can do that. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen come tomorrow or Friday. Because again, we don't know the election when we're recording this. My brain but either is way, literally hurting. <laughs> either way, it is going to be an elderly white man, which is... <laughs> I just... Just get involved, so, folks. <laughs> I'll tell you a story after, which okay. is very cute. But I just, I think young politics is important. And I know it I is. Brandon Scott is an example, but AOC is another example. Yeah. I'm sure there are several incredible Republican, I'd name two Democrats, but I'm sure there are several incredible Republican young people. And just, we want you. We want mm -hmm. your opinions. I don't want to discount people of different generations, but like it's, it's time. Yeah, it it's is time. time. Okay. Oh. Go ahead. I... <laughs> have a again a dumb recommendation i again this has been a very stressful week because of the election and everything going on um and uh, i have been finding a lot of comfort in tea <laughs> so tea. and again this is going to be so dumb because anyone who is actually into tea like again listener mora who designed your tattoo and is so wonderful um, I've been drinking a lot of celestial seasonings tea, which oh, yes, she would probably be very disappointed in. Um, cause I think it's like trash in the official tea world, but I love it. They have a tea that's like an apple spice tea that tastes just like a, just a basket of fall. Um, they, <laughs> I love a basket of they fall. They have a Madagascar vanilla tea that is absolutely delightful. And I just, I, so I make my coffee in the morning. I have my two cups in the morning. And then when I go on my first job, I take a cup of tea and it has been very relaxing. And then I drink it in the evening. I've been, I just been on a real tea bender. Um, not on the hard boiled eggs as much, but now I'm on tea. So this is really just like, what is Katie eating or drinking this week? And today it's tea. I like that. So, um, just get yourself some tea and like, don't give a shit whether it's like the nice tea, like get yourself some celestial seasonings. It's delightful. Just have some tea. And again, maybe people don't actually give a shit, but like, <laughs> and their boxes are cute. The little sleepy bear on the sleepy time tea. Yes, I bought it also. I haven't tried it yet, but I'll have some tonight. So you can sleep I well. I need to sleepy time um, after the election. So yeah. anyways, that's it for us. Rate and review us. 
please rate and review us find on Apple us everywhere talk to us oh, we're everywhere we talk, talk to back. us chat with us we, we talk you. back when we remember if you're writing um, a book <laughs> we're definitely gonna do it on the podcast oh my gosh so yeah many books coming up from people oh. who have written them all about women so one of the coolest things or is like, women authors some of yes. our books have just been by women authors and aren't about women that's which is true. fine we're just in the women book sphere and we love being here it's an absolute blast and thank you again to the people who requested this episode marion and joan santiago joan santiago we just appreciate you so much and everyone else who's requested this season um so just thank Tell you us everything we got wrong please do because i'm sure we missed a ton of stuff and then <laughs> if you if you want to rate and review us for free do that if you want to um become a patron i can send you stickers i'll send uh, you other things but also the winter holidays are arriving and katie and i are developing a winter plan to send <laughs> to our patrons we don't know what it will be we don't know what it will be but, but we it are will brainstorming. be fun um confetti might be involved confetti might be involved booze will definitely be involved possible so glitter it might just be <laughs> a photo of ali and i very drunk which <laughs> what else could you possibly want for christmas i mean i might send you actually something. Um, <laughs> i'm the one that mails things that's true i have no creative control over this um so <laughs> we'll figure it out we'll but, figure it out but, but it's a little incentive for you to join our patreon before christmas right if you do do it or Hanukkah or Hanukkah or, or Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Whatever winter holiday you're going to celebrate, I can send you something for that. I can Absolutely. change the colors of the stamps. Mm. I won't even send you a baby Jesus stamp. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a nice, tasteful American flag. <laughs> um, so anyways, thanks again. We love you. And we want you to never forget that well-behaved women take their dressing on the side. Ooh, yes, they do. <laughs> Toss it, baby. Toss it. And they rarely make history. Bye. Listening to her story on the rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.